good. That is so good. Our God is able, right? And it's my prayer, church's prayer for you that if, you know, saying words like that, they don't quite resonate with you yet because you're not sure about God or sure about Jesus, still checking it out, that you would come to a place where you say yes to him and place your confidence and your trust in him so that you can sing words like that in the middle of trials, in the middle of circumstances that aren't going your way. And that will encourage you, encourage you when you do that. So I uh, just love it that you're here today. Thanks so much. I want to invite you, if you would, we're wrapping up a series called You Drive Me Crazy, right? And so if you're a guest today, just as we wrap it up, just know that you're going to fit right in being here today because we're all crazy, okay? So that's what we're talking about, and I think it'll fit really well, and you'll be able to understand. In fact, it's going to go back and actually talk about some of the things we talked about in the first message in this series. And so I'm going to ask you to grab your message notes out of your program. They look like this, and then you'll be able to take some notes today. All the Bible verses will be here. Also, if you have your Bible open to James chapter 4, because that's where we're going to be today, uh, and camping out there and talking about how to resolve conflict. Now, the series is had a thread all the way through, and it's the thread of learning empathy, being able to express empathy to others. In fact, as I said at the top of your notes, it's the key character trait that we need if we're going to be able to have relationships is empathy. And uh, I just want to thank you first for the emails you sent me, uh, the notes you've written me about how this series has impacted you as you've been able to think about empathy. As you go out, you're able to give empathy away and the results you're seeing. That's what I really love is you write to me the results of how it changed the encounter you were having. It changed the relationship. It changed your perspective. And so empathy is essential. So I put a definition here, and so we need to know that. So I'll just say it again this week so we can just be aware of this definition. It's tuning in to what someone else feels, okay? So what are they going through? So you're tuning in. That means you have to be a listener. You have to be attentive. And as we're going to look at today, you have to take your eyes off of yourself. So you have to tune in to what somebody else feels. And then you acknowledge the bigness of it. Validate the bigness of it. So what somebody else feels is theirs, okay? And you're not going to judge it and say that you shouldn't feel this way. But you're just going to acknowledge that, wow, that is big, big, big. And that you can sense that they need just to hear someone say, oh, my word, someone's aware of the reality I'm living in. And then the last part was is that you would show compassion so that you would just show love. You would uh, offer an arm. You would offer a prayer. If there's some physical help that you might be able to offer, you could do that. But in some way that you would offer compassion. Okay. And so when we talk about this, though, it's impossible for you and me to express empathy unless we've received empathy ourselves, okay? So many of us, we function with an empathy deficit, and so we've never really experienced it. We've experienced from significant others in our lives like we needed, uh, but then also we experience it from God. And so really, the key to expressing empathy is for you and me to receive empathy from God, to receive empathy from Jesus, that's the cornerstone right there that you and I would get to a place where we can look at the face of God, look at the face of Jesus, and not see judgment, not see consternation, not see disappointment, not see disapproval, but we would look and see a smile on the loving God who is looking at you and wants to empathize with you in your place uh, in life. Now, there's a song that I just want to mention today 
It's a hymn that we sing at Christmas time, a Christmas carol, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. So they're longing for Jesus to come. Verse 3 is talking about empathy. Verse 3 of that song. I just, wanted, I just thought I'd bring these lyrics today to help us to realize this is the cry of the earth and then calling about what Jesus came to do. So come to earth. That's Jesus. Come to earth to taste our sadness. Okay? Tuning in to what we feel. He whose glory is new no end. So he's coming down. He's elevated as God in heaven. Coming down. Glory is new no end. Humbled himself and came to earth. By his life, he brings us gladness, right? So he changes our experience as we embrace him. And then it refers to him as our redeemer, our shepherd, and friend. So that's a picture of Jesus, the Jesus that we talk about that wants you today to know his love as you tune in to him as well. Now here's the deal. Jesus came, he lived, he was born, we sing songs about him coming at Christmas, and then he went to a cross and he showed the ultimate act of empathy on a cross when he died on our behalf, where he took the punishment that was due to us, he took what he did for us what we could not do, and he took upon that punishment. So then he died on a cross, then he went to a grave, he was resurrected from the grave, and then after his resurrection, after 40 days, he ascended to the heavens. He ascended to be with the Father, and Jesus now still in heaven is looking on us with empathy. So he wants us to know that he wants us to, uh, that he understands what it is that we're going through and what we're feeling because he came to earth as a human. And then when he came to earth, he humbled himself. He gave up all of his rights and went to a death, a death on a cross is what Philippians says. And so he is our model that we're going to look at as we're going to talk today about this whole idea of resolving conflict. Now, when I went to James 4 to begin with, I thought that today I was going to talk about, you know, okay, you're in conflict, it's crazy, and what do you do about it? I thought that's what we were going to talk about. And then I got into James 4, and I realized that I had to talk about so much more, that I really had to spend some time talking about what James does, and that's the source or the root of conflict. And if we can expose the source or the root, then God can help us deal with what's causing the conflicts in our lives. So we're going to begin with verse 1 in chapter 4. And James, he's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He's the uh, stepbrother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus. And so he's writing, and he says this. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Uh, That would be like me writing in my email blast on Thursday that you get, and you read it, and the first line was, why are you guys fighting so much? Okay, that's, that's what he's doing. Why are you guys fighting so much? These are followers of Jesus he's talking to, okay? He's talking about the real deal. This is how people do relate to each other, okay? So if we ever come to church and we say, this is a bunch of hypocrites because they fight. No, but it's normal, okay? But it's not the normal God wants. And that's what James is talking about here. He says, don't these come from the evil desires? Would you circle that word evil? Those words evil desires within you. You want what you don't have. So you scheme, I mean, he is talking strong language here. So you scheme and you what? You kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't know what you want because you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. 
what will give you pleasure. So he's talking here, and he's talking, that word desires, you might circle that, as I had you do, and just, we're going to come back to that right now. That word desires is from the same word that we get our word hedonism. Hedonism. And what that means here is that you are choosing to live for your own pleasure. You're choosing to live for yourself. You're living a life of self-gratification. You're living a life that's all about your comfort, your convenience, and you want to be in control. Your comfort, your convenience, and you want to be in control. And as long as it's comfortable for you, convenient for you, and you're in control, you are a happy camper. But that's what leads to what we're talking about here is the conflict. So if you want to just nail it down, we want to boil it down to one word. Here is the root source of conflict. It is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. You might even write there self-absorption. Self-absorption. Self-centeredness or self-absorption. See, the reason that we have conflict is that we have the wrong person sitting on the throne. And the, the throne. So, right? So we have the wrong person. So we are on the throne. We want to rule. We want to have everybody serve us. And what it's saying is, is know that there needs to be another person on the throne. And who would that be? God. God. He says we have to have God on the throne of our lives. And as long as, long as you have the wrong person on the throne, it's going to produce conflict. But the good news, here's the really good news. If you can have the right person on your throne, the throne of your life, it will lead always lead to peace. See, the idea is that we have conflict because we want what we want 100% of the time. I was was about to give us some grace there and say 90% of the time, but really, (laughs) it's 100% of the time, right? That's why we have conflict. So he's saying here is that we want what we want. And when we don't get it, James says, here's what we do. We attack people. We come against them to get our own way. And if we don't get our own way, we, what we tend to do is we start seeing other people as obstacles or deterrents, or as James says, we see them as enemies that must be removed, must be taken out in order for me to have what I want. It's a me-first mindset. When we have conflict because we want this, and whatever this is, somebody else wants it as well. It's the classic picture of what happens when you have one cookie and two toddlers. (laughs) One cookie and two toddlers. And James says that the one cookie and two toddler mentality is what is creating conflict in our relationships. When we live like that, we can never be happy with what other people are blessed with because we're always measuring to see if we have gotten as much or more than what they received. And we end up jealous we end up envious, and that builds barriers and walls between us. James also says this. He says, okay, not only do, are you having war against each other because you're not getting what you want, but get this. The prayers you're praying are not getting answered. Oh, they're getting answered, but the answer is no. And the reason the answer is no is because you're asking for things that you haven't thought about that are only for your own selfish desires and You're praying to God in a utilitarian way that he would meet all of your needs. You know, he becomes a genie. He becomes a vending machine. He becomes just a source for you to be on the throne, to get your pleasure and to get your comfort and that you can still remain in control. And that's the whole idea. You still want to be in control. God's here to meet all 
of your needs. So the root of conflict is self-centeredness. I want something, you want something, and neither one of us is willing to put the other first, to let the other go first. And so now, okay, that's the root. Now, James elaborates on that even more, goes a little bit deeper, and I think you're going to see that we all needed to hear what he's about to say. He begins this next phrase with, you adulterers. He's talking to his church again, right? You adulterers. So what does he, why does he, let's pause there. Why did he call them adulterers? Well, it goes back to our service on marriage from a couple of weeks ago. He's calling us adulterers as a result of us violating the vows that we have made with the God of the universe when we enter into relationship with him. He is the groom and we are the bride. And that's the picture. One person put it this way, and I thought this was awesome. The picture of his people as the bride of God and God as the husband of his people has something very precious in it. It means to, to disobey God is like breaking the marriage vow. It means that all sin is a sin against love. It means that our relationship with God is not like some distant relationship between a king and a subject or slave. Our relationship with God is like the intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. And when we sin, we break God's heart. In the same way, the heart of one may be broken by the desertion of another in marriage. So when we sin, we become spiritual adulterers and break our vow with God. So that's what he's saying here, and that's what he's calling them on right now, is that they've broken their vows with God. Then he goes on to say this. Don't you realize that your friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God? Some of you just need to pray on that verse this week. Your friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God. And he says this, I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate and that the spirit he placed in us would, should be faithful to him. And he gives us grace generously. I'm going to have you right now just go ahead and underline that. And he gives us grace generously because we're going to come back to that and refer to it at the end of our time together. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the hum humble. He opposes the proud. He's pushing against the proud, but he favors or he gives grace to, he pours his blessing on those who are humble. So according to that last verse that we read... The source of, we said the source of conflict is self-centeredness. The source of self-centeredness is pride. The source of our self-centeredness is pride. It's the inner desire each of us has that wants to crave our own way. Pride is to demand that you make much of me. That's pride. The demand that you make much of me. It's an insistence that others orbit their world around me and my desires so that I'm the one who is the center of the world. Groucho Marx. You guys heard of Groucho Marx, the great comedian, uh, silent films and stuff. And, and he had, there's a little short where he is talking to another person and he's talking to the other person. It's, it's this funny scene where Groucho just keeps going on and on. Me, me, I did this, we went there, I'm this, I'm that. Me, 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 on and on, just droning on, on and on. Me, me, me. And finally, after about five minutes of this conversation, it's all about me, 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 me. He stops and he says, oh, 
Oh, I'm so sorry. All this time I've been talking about me. What about you? What do you think about me? <laughs> uh, that's what we're talking about, okay? That everything centers around you. And so that's a, that's a question a prideful person would ask or think. There's a neediness within a person who lives with pride. Now, Tim Keller, I love reading Tim Keller's stuff, and he, he writes a lot. In fact, you read you know, his stuff, he likes a lot, writes a lot about pride. Uh, and he says that pride, what pride does is it causes me to place my needs, if I'm evaluating on a scale, my needs is more important than your needs. That's what pride does. In other words, as he says, it's this, my life for me. So I'm living my life for me. Everything's my life for me. And so basically, my life for me is saying what I need is obviously more important than what you need. So I'm going to respond negatively to every opportunity you have to get your needs met because I'm going to be threatened in some way that there's not going to be enough for me to get my needs met as well. So that's pride. Humility, on the other hand, and this is what Keller says about humility. Here's humility. Here's a humble person. My life for you. My life for you. My life I'm living for you. So what this means is that I'm willing now to put your needs above my needs. Your needs above my needs and living that way. Another way to look at it, C.S. Lewis gives us a picture and he says this. He says, pride is never satisfied with having something, okay? So we have these desires. He talked about desires in James. And so you get your desires. Well, pride is never satisfied with getting what has been desired. It gets no, pride gets no pleasure over winning. Pride only gets pleasure out of having more than you, more than the next person. That's when pride gets its pleasure, having more than the other. And this is what he says. He says, we say that people are proud of being rich, smart, good-looking, but they're not. They are only proud of being richer, smarter, or better-looking than others. That's a person of pride, and that's the source of self-centeredness. If self-centeredness is a source of conflict, pride is a sort of self-centeredness, and so of self-centeredness. So we have to work it out now. We have to work it out, okay? So how do I do that? So turn on your back, on, your, on the back of your notes, and let's talk about we're in conflict because of these desires, and now what do we do about that? And so this is where it's going to be even more practical now, is what do we do? James says this, beginning in verse 7. Humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. He says a lot in here about where our loyalty lies and where we're looking to for our things that we would, our approval and the things that would bring us pleasure. So in, in these verses, he lays out a strategy for how to deal with conflict. Now, unfortunately, it's not kind of what I thought it would be, where you'd be talking about, okay, I'm in conflict with someone, Ron, what do I do? Well, we're going to begin with the conflict that we have with God. And when we can resolve the conflict we have with God, then God works through us and in us to resolve the conflicts we have with others. So here's the first thing I have to do. According to these verses, I must give in to God. I must give in to God. James says, humble yourselves 
before God. Now, the word humble, it's a, a, a verb form, and the verb form used there is uh, very intense. And James chose it on purpose, and it means do it now. Do it with intensity. It means to submit or surrender. So humble means to submit or surrender. It's a combination of two words, and the two words mean to be under in rank. To be under in rank. It's like, you know, in the military. Everybody understands in military, the military functions because when, when functions well, when everyone works and functions within their rank. And, you're, you know, you're, there's authority over you. It means to take God as your commander. So humble yourself means that I'm going to give in to God and I'm going to willingly obey everything that he has said to me. I'm going to willingly obey. So I'm going to give in to God. And I'm going to say, God, you, you call the shots. You know more than me. I know this is what your word says. So I'm going to give in to what you say voluntarily. Surrender to him fully without holding anything back. Folks, this goes absolutely against our culture's view. Our culture's view is that the rights of the individual trump everything else. The rights of the individual trump everything else. And so what we do in our culture is we even tell God how to work and what God should do and how, what God would want from us. Instead, what God says, no, you got the wrong person on the throne here. Your individual rights don't trump every right. What trumps everything is what I say. My word, that's what trumps everything. We as a culture are surrender resistant. Okay, We're resistant to being willing to surrender to him. We're independent. We're full of pride. And what God does is he says, I want you to humble yourself before me. And then when I do that, here's what happens. When I humble myself before him. Okay, so I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to obey him. You know, when you watch soldiers march, isn't it beautiful when you watch soldiers that are really trained and they march and they just, you know, they're marching and they're in order and all the feet are moving the same way at the same time. They have a pattern they're in. They turn, they turn together, they walk together. And so what he's saying here is he's saying, when you walk with God, when you give in to him, that you are now marching in alignment with his spirit. So as his spirit guides you, you're in formation. As his spirit guides you, that you walk with him. And that's the way he calls it. You're submitted and you're surrendered to what he's called you to do and how he's called you to do it. So if I want to resolve my conflicts with others, I have to first resolve my conflict with God. And that is to say to him, I surrender. I'm going to give my all to you. I'm going to follow you. To give in to God is to say this, thy will be done, not my will be done. Thy will be done, not my will be done. So that's the first step is I have to submit to him. Then he goes on and he says this, he says, get tough with Satan. Get tough with Satan. So he's drawing the, the, the whole point here that when he's talked about the evil desires, hedonism, the pleasures that are calling out to me, uh, he's calling us back to realize that that's all coming from Satan. That we have an enemy, and the enemy is designed, is, you know, his purpose is to kill, seek, kill, and destroy those who know God. And so this is what it says in James 4. It says, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. There's a promise there. Resist and he will flee. Now, that word resist, it has the idea of anti. So like antiperspirant is supposed to keep you dry under your pits, right? So it keeps the moisture away. 
And so this is anti. So you're pushing against and you're resisting and pushing Satan away. It means to take a stand. Like you would dig in and you would take a stand against an enemy. There's no middle ground with him. You can't play around here and flirt with the things that Satan leads you or guides you to do and think that you're going to be okay. Because here's what the Bible says about Satan. It says he is the slanderer, the liar, the seducer, the deceiver, the destroyer. He's the one the Bible says was thrown out of heaven's armies because of his pride. And then he uses pride. Pride is the cause of all sin. All sins, the sin of pride, which basically says, I'm on the throne and God's not. I'm on the throne and God's not. So he is the being who's going to distort every circumstance. So let's get into relationships now. He's going to distort every circumstance so that as you're perceiving what's happening, you're going to perceive it as an offense against you. You perceive it, no matter what somebody's done, you perceive it as an offense against you. Now, this is one of the things that's really helped me in relationships. And I'm still working on it. I still, you know, sometimes it takes me a little bit longer than others to get there. But one thing I'm learning is to not respond quickly when I feel pinched or when I feel hurt or I feel that someone's, you know, stepped on my toes. I feel that someone's done something against me. Uh, in some way, I felt, you know, like that they were out of line. I'm learning more and more to keep my mouth shut because the longer I can keep my mouth shut, the more I realize that, yes, I felt offended, but I don't have to. I don't have to. I'm choosing to be offended. And if I can let go of the offense, then all of a sudden, I'm free of the animosity I feel toward that other person. And so I have to learn to let go of offenses. But Satan would want to say, that he did it on purpose, you know. You know, you just better be careful because you got to watch out for them. All the, all the lies that he'd want to give you and so that you would go, oh, yeah, you're right. That is that true. And you would get offended even more and that would escalate the conflict. And so the other thing he does is he gets you distracted from the, um, the benefits of walking with God and what God is doing by the lures of, as he said, the evil desires, so he gets you distracted by all the things that you could have or could do or could experience, gets you distracted by that, and then you look at that and you say, well, yeah, this is Adam and Eve. God's holding out on me, and so I, he's holding out on me, so I'm going to go for this because even though God said not to, well, I'm on the throne, so I'm going to call my shots here, and even though God said not to, I'm going to tackle this. Well, Satan's the one that's giving you the inspiration to go after what is outside of God's will. And what happens then is that you sacrifice your relationship with him and you also sacrifice your relationship with others when you do that. He's the one that's telling you and whispering in your ears, if you had this, if you could do that, if you possessed this thing, if you looked like that, if you attained this, if you experienced this, then you would be somebody. He's the one telling you those messages. And so what happens is, is that you spin, if you're not careful, and what James says, get tough. Get tough and say no. And the good news is, if you will resist and you'll say no, Satan has no power. And he will flee from you. But you have to get angry here. Okay, you have to, this is a place where you can have some anger and say, I'm no longer going to live for my needs. I'm going to live with an other-centered focus so Satan get behind me. 
as Jesus said to him. Third, I have to get close to God. Get close to God. So in order to be able to to deal with the pride, I have to be in as close relationship with God as possible. So move toward him. James says, come close to God, and he will what? Come close to you. So there's another promise here. It's an amazing promise. And so I'd say maybe for some of you today, you need to do that for the first time, is you need to come close to God. It's through Jesus Christ where you would say humbly, Jesus, I have sinned, and I know I have, and I've never been willing to humble myself, submit myself to you, and today I want to do that because I want to be cleansed. And maybe for some of you, you've already done that, but you, you find yourself in a place where you've been distant from God. And so today you would want to say, I want to come close to God because I know when I do it, then what I need is God and he will come close to me. I'll have what I need when I put myself to be close to him. See, it has that awesome promise. Just as he said, resist the devil and he will flee. He also says, come close to God and God will come close to you. He will be true to what he says. And this is what you need to hear. Some of you, you believe a lie. And the lie you believe is that what you've done in some way is so horrendous or so bad. And you feel so much shame and so much guilt that you don't believe that God wants you to come close to him. That somehow you've disqualified yourself. And what I want want you to hear from me today is that is a lie again from Satan. A lie that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And he offers you forgiveness. He offers you cleansing. And what God is wanting and waiting for is you to turn. And it only takes one step. It doesn't take a journey. It just takes one step where you're willing to say, I'm going to turn and I'm going to come back to him. And then when we're near him, what he does is he puts all of our desires into perspective. And we realize it's not about who has the most. It's not about who's the most productive. It's not about who has the most wealth. It's not who's the sexiest. It's not about who's the most beautiful, not who's the most accomplished, not who has the most stuff, not who gets to do the most things in life. It's just all about what God says. That's my value, what God says about me. On Friday night, I got the, Kim and I got the privilege of speaking to Celebrate Recovery. And as we were there, we talked about every one of us has been formed by something. And oftentimes, because we live in a broken world, there's been some misforming that happened. And then what God wants to do is he wants to come in with the power of the Spirit, and he wants to give you a picture of him that, as a God of love and God of concern and God of care. And then he wants to transform you. But it happens when your vision of him is changed as well. So, folks, I just want to tell you, here's what I discovered. The more time I spend with God, the better I get along with other people. Just true. The more time I spend with him, the better I get along with other people. So we have to work to do that. Lastly, get right with others. And this is where it comes down to more of an outward expression. We've done inward things so far, but now it's an outward thing. James goes on in 8b, he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow. You want to read Psalm 51. Sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. So what happens is, is that we're living this life of frivolity and laughter in our pleasure. And he says, instead of a false laughter that is attained by you living outside of God's will, 
Instead, there should be sadness and then gloom instead of joy. So this is the outward description. So basically what he's saying here, he's saying stop hurting others. Stop hurting others and repent. Now, I should have said not just about repenting there. It's not just repenting with what you've done with others, but repenting with God as well. So it's kind of twofold there. So, you know, it's get right with God and others. And so I have to realize that I've hurt others, but really I have to come before God, as we've already talked about, get close to him and, you know, in sorrow, tell him how, what I've done and, and he cleanses me. But then I also have to outwardly now, I did that with God. Now I need to go to people and I need to be honest and I need to say, here's how I hurt you. Here's how I feel that impacted you. Here's what I said. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And so it's the outward where you say, because now you're humble. See, a prideful person cannot ask for forgiveness. But a humble person can ask for forgiveness. So you go to that person, you say, in all humility, say, here's what I did. Here's what I'm going to do differently. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Because I want us to be back in relationship. And then James ends this whole section with a promise. Here's a wonderful promise. He says this, humble yourselves. So it's an an action word again. It's intense. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Surrender to him. And what will happen? He will lift you up with honor. He will lift you up and he will say, this is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Lift him up and honor. So what creates conflict is my self-centeredness. What creates self-centeredness is my pride. And then what God wants to do, the battle against that, is I would give in to him, I would resist the messages of the devil, and then I would come close to him and be in relationship so that in relationship he's transforming me and changing me. I have a new view of him and a new view of me. And now I'm ready to go out and I'm really to make amends. And I'm really to go to those I've hurt and I'm going to ask them to forgive me. So when... If I miss all that, then you've missed the message today. See, he's told us the entire problem of interpersonal relationships is really self-centeredness and pride. Self-centeredness and pride. And so we have to deal with those things. And he says, he says, now humble yourselves before me. Resist the devil. Come close to me. And then he says, now get right with others. And so I want you to think about this for just a moment. Uh, in the first service, I did this way earlier in my message, but I think it'd be appropriate to do it here as well, is that oftentimes you hear a message like this, and if you're not careful, you're sitting there the entire time thinking about somebody else. You know, you're thinking about your crazy person, and you're thinking, well, I wish my crazy person was here to hear this, or I can't wait till I can say, you need to go online and watch this, because you really need this. So really, the deal is this, where do you fit? Maybe this isn't for your crazy person at all. Maybe it's for you. Maybe God called you here because he wanted you to hear these words to him. And here's why. He wants to lift you out of the mire of the conflicts you live in. He wants to lift you out. He wants to restore you. He wants to fill you. He offers you grace. That's why I had you underline that as we went through it in like verse 5. That he offers us grace. And the grace is what gives us the power to stand against the evil desires. And so what you want to hear now is that Jesus came to give us grace, 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 grace. He came to give us 
all we need, the power we need to submit to God, to resist the devil, to come close to God in relationship, and to do the hard work of letting others know how we've hurt them and ask for forgiveness. And Jesus is the one who came to give us grace because he empathizes with us the most. Jesus is the one who came and modeled for you and me. This is the only way I think we can do this. Modeled for you and me. It's the only way it's ever going to be healthy. Modeled for you and me the my life for you mentality. Jesus did it. My, you read about this, you read, about, read the four Gospels. Everywhere Jesus went, it was my life for you. My life for you. He went to a cross. He said, my life for you. As he was resurrected, my life for you. As he said, my life for you. And he calls us into the same thing. And he will give us the power to do the impossible. And that is to live with others as our primary focus. Instead of ourselves and getting what we need. And then it says this about Jesus, talking about his empathy in Hebrews 4. It says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. So he understands the struggle we're in. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it. So what we're doing here is we're coming to a different throne. Coming to the throne where God is, or I'm not. And as I come to that throne, he gives me his grace and mercy. So what we're going to do now is we're going to enter into this time of communion. And we're going to commemorate what Jesus did when he showed the ultimate my life for you gift when he went to the cross for you and me. And so the meaning of communion is that. That we are coming to celebrate, to commemorate the price that was paid so that I could be in relationship with God, my Father. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to do communion a little differently than maybe you've had here in the past. And we're going to all go together to tables and we're going to get our communion elements and serve ourselves. And so just kind of know that right up front, this is going to be a little chaotic. And that's okay. Okay, because sometimes aren't your family meals chaotic? Okay, so just okay to be a little chaotic here. Okay, for it to be lines, because I love the ask. I was thinking about this. When we're in lines, we're in lines in community. This is not an individual thing. We're doing this as a church family. And so you can be thinking about the person in front of you, the person behind you. Even as you have feel, you know, thoughts, you might even have this thought, I'm going to pray for them instead of myself. And that they would be able to understand the, the, you know, my life for you mentality. So what we're going to do is we're going to invite you to move. We have eight tables. We have four in the back and four in the front. And so just encourage you that I noticed in the last service, the side tables didn't quite get used as much, but come to these, go to those in the back. We're going to get up. The music's going to be playing and you're going to get a chance to take a piece of the bread and a cup. When you eat the bread, I want you to thank Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you came my, your life for me, my life for you, your life for me, Jesus, that you gave your life, your body, and you drink the juice, say, Jesus, thank you, that it was your life for me, you were saying my life for me, for you. So as you do that, just think about what Jesus has done for us. We're going to have some time, that we're in no hurry, we have plenty of time, we've, 
given the service time to do this. At the end of this, this is a beautiful song that you're going to get to listen to. And this song talks about the grace that he gives to us, that we can be set free of our chains, we can be set free of our pride, we can be set free to embrace him. So I'm going to invite you now, music's going to start, and just give you a chance to move to one of the stations. And you don't all have to get up at once, you can do it at your own pace, and uh, go ahead and we'll serve, have communion together. Ashamed of what I've done, what I've become. These hands are dirty. 
been hiding inside a doubt that you could love me but in your eyes there's only we thank you that you did that for us, that you gave us grace. Grace was on your face, grace was in your veins, that you gave your blood that we could be clean, we could be in relationship with a heavenly, righteous Father, 
And we thank you for that. And we thank you today that we don't have to be in chains. We don't have to be in chains to our pleasures. We don't have to be in chains to uh, the desires that we have. We don't have to be in chains to our pride, that we can let go of our pride. And that we have pride, meaning that we have to always be right. Lord, I pray that you would help us now, that you would, just each one of us, that we would realize where we are self-centered, where we allow pride to come in, and that you would cleanse us. We want to come close to you, that being in your presence, you would make us clean, surrendered to you fully. We give ourselves to you. And God, I pray that it would just, this would filter into our church, that it would become part of our our fabric of who we are, this idea of living my life focused on the needs of others, giving myself away, my life for you, my life for you, just changing our perspective instead of my life for me, doing battle against that mentality of pride. We thank you, Jesus, for how you work and what you're saying to each of us today and the knowing that you've spoken. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.